This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And away we go. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Uh, first, of course, uh, we must acknowledge this horrific uh, shooting in uh, Orlando at the uh, Pulse nightclub. Uh, The worst mass shooting in American history uh, left at least 50 dead and 50 more seriously injured. Uh, So needless to say, everyone here on The Conspiracy Show um, extending our deepest sympathies, our prayers uh, to all of the victims, their families and friends. Uh, The shooter, it would appear, uh, had pledged his allegiance to ISIS. So once again, radical Islamic terrorism comes to the United States. Uh, and uh, next week, former FBI agent John Guandalo uh, will be here, uh, just in time, I suppose, to discuss, among other things, uh, radical Islamic terrorism and the missing 28 pages from the 9-11 report and how the contents of those missing 28 pages might go a long way uh, to keeping us safe. Uh, Victor Vigiani, the executive director of Zeland News Network, is here in studio. Uh, And historian Richard Dolan, uh, the author of UFOs in the National Security State, Volumes 1 and 2, standing by. Uh, Of course, we have the Alien Cosmic Expo uh, coming up in Brantford on June 24th, 25th, and 26th. Uh, And I'll be moderating the uh, disclosure hearing on Saturday morning of the 25th. We'll give you more details on that as the hour progresses. Uh, On one side, we will have noted UFO researchers and disclosure advocates, including the aforementioned Mr. Dolan, the Honorable Paul Hellyer, Stephen Bassett, Stanton Friedman, Grant Cameron, Travis Walton, and Nick Pope, who manned the UFO desk for the uh, British Defense Department. Uh, They'll be presenting their best evidence uh, before a panel of skeptical mainstream media journalists. This is going to be very interesting and very important. Uh, so go to aliencosmicexpo.com, aliencosmicexpo.com for more information. Uh, Albert Vinzel is here running our HOA, our Hangout on Air. And incidentally, if you'd like to stream us live on YouTube, 
uh, just go to my Twitter feed at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T, Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett. Go to the top or near the top of the feed and you'll find the tweet containing an HOA link. Big capital letters, HOA. Just click on it and you are in and you are streaming a radio program on YouTube. How cool is that? Uh, intern Jonathan Franz is here tonight. It's crowded in here. It's like Operation Petticoat. We've got uh, like six people in the studio here. <laughs> uh, and uh, Ian Robertson, incidentally, our technical producer, is off. Uh, I think he's gigging around. Uh, I'm not sure where he's gigging, but he's got his. He's taken his rockabilly band on the road. And uh, so he's away, but in his stead, the fabulous, the young and talented Jamie is on the other side of the glass, and she is flying this ship. All right. Uh, let's get right to it. There's much to discuss. Uh, Victor Vigiani's research and analysis of anomalous aerial phenomenon spans over 30 years. His experience involves UFO sightings, report investigation, counseling work with individuals reporting anomalous experiences, presentations, and journalisms in the field or journalism in the field of ETI disclosure issues. His extensive UFO research has been completed throughout the southwestern United States in locations such as Groom Lake, Nevada, Corona, Roswell, and the very large, uh, the, uh, very large array telescope in Socorro. Uh, White Sands, Los Alamos, uh, on and on it goes. His published work includes Area 51, a Desert Journey Alien Abduction Symposium in Boston, Mass., and a review of alien abduction dialogue between Dr. John Mack and Bud Hopkins. Uh, Victor Vigiani, welcome very much uh, to. Uh, oh, let me, yeah, let me punch you in here. Victor, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. How Great are you? to be here. Great to. Be, did I really do all that stuff? No, it's. it's um, just all, I just I padded it. <laughs> You've confabulated. <laughs> no, it's it's great to be with you. Thank you very much. My pleasure. All right, Richard Dolan is among the world's leading researchers and historians of the UFO subject. He's the author of two volumes of history, as I mentioned, UFOs and the National Security State, Volumes One and Two, as well as an analysis of the future A.D. after disclosure when the government finally reveals the truth about alien contact. He's appeared on many television specials for the History Channel, Sci-Fi, BBC, and elsewhere. Since 2012, Richard has hosted The Richard Dolan Show, airing on KGRA Radio every Saturday evening from 8 to 11 p.m. Eastern. In his books, articles, and many interviews, Richard has analyzed the destruction of our political liberties as a result of the UFO cover-up, the possible nature of the non-humans themselves, uh, what uh, their presence means for our civilization, why he believes the cover-up will end within our lifetime, and what is likely to happen after that. Richard, Richard has also completed another groundbreaking work, UFOs for the 21st Century Mind. Richard Dolan, welcome to The Conspiracy Show once again. How are you? Hi, Richard. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm always happy to, to be with you, and I want to give a greeting to my very good friend and colleague, Victor Vigiani. Hi, Richard. Good to, good to talk to you again. Uh, pleasure. Let's let's just talk very briefly about the um, the conference off off the top, the Alien Cosmic mm-hmm. um, uh, Expo coming up June twenty fourth, twenty fifth, twenty sixth, and and specifically uh, this uh, this hearing that will take place the morning of the twenty fifth. Uh, you're going to be one of seven panelists presenting your best evidence. On the other side, we'll have some some mainstream uh, journalists, skeptical mainstream journalists. Uh, that we hope we're gonna, are going to give you the uh, you know the the high hard one in terms of the, their questions. What are you What are you hoping is going to come out of this? What is your best case scenario that'll come out of this this hearing? That's a good question. I think uh, any time that those of us who are working this particular subject, that is the UFO reality, uh, 
we we deal with a very difficult medium, um, and this is not to um, not to give us excuse me, not to give ourselves an excuse for not breaking through the wall of secrecy. But uh, anyone who has done the bit of study of the structure of the corporate media complex realizes this has got a very, very close relationship with the structure of power itself. And, uh, I mean, I've been looking at this now in the public realm for over 15 years, and it's tough. Um, it's very difficult to get a hearing from mainstream journalists. Having said that, it is absolutely possible to construct a reasonable, rational case for a, the reality of the phenomenon in terms of declassified military and intelligence community records, of which there's an overwhelming abundance. And then B, to show the discrepancy. This is really, I think, one of the most jarring things in our society between that proven reality and the official expressions of disinterest, ridicule, and non-attention that has been the case really from since the 1940s and it, exists right on through our day today. So in other words, uh, what I will certainly be wanting to do to demonstrate to the um, members of the press is to show, on the one hand, expressions, uh, official statements by the United States government and the Canadian government as well, about a lack, showing a lack of interest in this phenomenon, essentially dismissing it, when at the same time showing one declassified document after another that uh, exhibit tremendous levels of concern and, I mean, in real perplexity over a phenomenon that does not to this day have a valid explanation in the conventional sense. I mean, we're talking about uh, violations of sensitive airspace going back decades and generations of objects that simply, quite simply, Richard, are not supposed to exist. And yet in report after report, in black and white, we've got them. And what we see are... Uh, not only objects that are described as disc-shaped or described as uh, flat on bottom and domed on top by, by three and four-star generals, uh, not only do we have documents by directors of scientific intelligence for the CIA to their boss, the director of the CIA, indicating that these are not explainable as natural phenomena or known types of aerial vehicles, and this is also true, but we have grave, grave matters of concern by Air, air base commanders and, and naval installation commanders who are were dealing with, with with objects that are in their airspace that, frankly, just no one had an explanation for these things. And at the same time, the United States government particularly was telling the public that there was nothing to this phenomenon, that it's all hallucinations or misidentifications and so forth. So this is a discrepancy, whatever the answer to the UFO mystery is, whether it's extraterrestrials or something even more bizarre, the reality is that, you know, if we as a society care about our public discourse, if we care that our governments are responsive to us in what is supposed to be a democracy in one form or another, or representative government, then what the heck is going on here? Why is it that we've just been unable consistently to get an answer? I think that there are reasons for this, and we can explore that, but I think just starting right off the bat, we have a discrepancy, and it's deeply significant, and I think for those of us who care about the nature of government, it's, uh, it's a bit disturbing. Well, let's talk about the fourth estate, which is a major pillar of any 
uh, dem- democracy. Uh, they are supposed to be, you know, keeping an eye on the decision makers. How do we, or how do you, um, explain or wrap your head around the the the, the mainstream media's uh, willful uh, ignorance, uh, woeful reportage of this issue? Is it a, a simply yeah. a matter of a cultural bias that journalists have? They no, know it's much more than that. Okay much more than that. I mean, uh, actually, this is something that our friend Victor knows quite a bit about as well. We've talked about this. Go back to something known as Operation Mockingbird in the post-World War II era. And this is, for those who aren't familiar with it, it was a CIA operation of management of the mainstream media, uh, intimate relationships with the Washington Post, New York Times, CBS, Reuters, Timeline, all of the majors back in the 40s and 50s and 60s. And this all came out in the 1970s. when it was discovered that there were at least 400 mainstream U.S. journalists that were on the CIA payroll covertly. Ask yourself, really, what you could do if you had 400 uh, journalists covertly working for you. Could you influence editorial spin? Sure you could. Could you kill stories that were uh, not amenable to your interests? Could you even plant fake stories? All of this happened through Mockingbird. Now, when that was exposed in the late 70s, the CIA, uh, in a very lawyerly fashion, said, well, we don't do that type of um, relationship, you know, paid relationship with journalists. They're very careful with how they worded that. Uh, But what we have now in the 21st century is a situation so vastly beyond anything dreamed of in the Mockingbird years. So uh, you've got not simply CIA, but military intelligence that has intimate relationships with journalists. All right, Richard, i got to take a time out here. All right, uh, hold on, we'll come back. Richard Dolan is with us. UFOs for the 21st Century Mind, as well as AD After Disclosure, and of course his major two epic volumes, uh, UFOs in the National Security State, Victor Vigiani, Zealand News Communications, with us as well back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra from Zoomer Radio. To see the light, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Uh, Just a a reminder, uh, Season 4 of my television program, The Conspiracy Show, Season 4 debuts across Canada on Vision TV Monday, June the 27th. Write this down now. Monday, June the 27th. 9 p.m. Eastern. All right, that's season four, The Conspiracy Show, across Canada, Vision TV, June 27th. That's a Monday, and it'll air every Monday until August the 1st, and that's at 9 p.m. Eastern. All right, we are back with Richard Dolan, 
And um, we, of course, have this big Alien Cosmic Expo coming up in Brantford, Ontario, the 24th, 25th, 26th of this month. Uh, Richard will be uh, presenting his best evidence before a panel of journalists, along with seven other panelists, or six other panelists, including Stanton Friedman, the Honorable Paul Hellyer, Nick Pope, Travis Walton, uh, Grant Cameron, uh, and uh, Stephen Bassett. Victor Vigiani is in studio from Zealand News Network. Uh, let me throw it over to uh, Victor. Yeah just, be, just be, yeah, just before the break, Richard, you were talking about the capacity of the of the, the mainstream media to do what it's supposed to do. One of the things that I'm attempting to do with this uh, inquiry, uh, this first national inquiry on UFOs, is, is really point out, you know, with your help and the help of the other the other speakers, the devastating crisis of credibility that exists in the press to actually tell the truth and to lie to us or be part of the lie and the process of lies the government is engaged in uh, with this. Now, when I say government, I don't mean those poor people sitting in the in Parliament and in Congress, and they know little about this, but I'm talking about the backroom boys and how the whole um, system is geared towards a lying mentality, just non-truth. So um, can you picture in your mind the, the, the jaw-dropping information that you're going to be giving these journalists and I'm sitting there right now, even imagining my mind, listening to you say what you say about your, all the files you talked about in general, seeing these things. Um, can you imagine the, the look on their faces and saying, no, this can't be, this cannot be true? Well, yeah. You know you're what I'm saying? You're talking about some serious, yeah, some serious cognitive dissonance that does exist. You know, you think of it like three years ago um in washington dc at the national press club uh we had the, the very very excellent citizen hearings on disclosure it was for an entire week stephen bassett who will be here with us this week at, uh excuse me two weekends uh organized that and and we were we were both part of that uh i got to see firsthand the uh, six retired members of u.s congress over the course of a week and and i saw how they transformed, absolutely transformed, from Monday till Friday. When they all came in, I don't, I, maybe one might have been partially sympathetic to the idea that maybe there was a UFO phenomenon. The other five, absolutely not. By the end of the week, I can say definitively all six were, were really on board, and they were particularly on board by recognizing that this is a genuine reality that deserves a, a fair public hearing because the evidence that they were presented with that week was simply overwhelming. And, and really, I think that this is exactly the kind of thing that, that you are organizing now in Brantford um, on the weekend of the 24th, 25th, 26th. And so my, my feeling is what, what professional journalists need to experience it, I, don't, I wouldn't want to throw everything out at them all at once. I mm -hmm. think, for my purpose, uh, it's important to demonstrate that there is this massive discrepancy that's actually quite fascinating. I mean, if for no other reason, I remember 20 years ago when I first started looking into this, learning that President Harry Truman began receiving quarterly briefings on the flying saucer phenomenon starting in the summer of 1948, and he received them every quarter for the remainder of his presidency, which went until the beginning of 1953. By my tally, that's anywhere from 16 to 18 briefings. Now, uh, according to the man who gave those briefings, which was retired General Robert B. Landry, uh, he said, well, 
we left no written record of the briefings. <laughs> he did it in conjunction, he said, with CIA, and he was the Air Force liaison. My simple uh, question is, that's an interesting fact because Harry Truman was a busy man. He was president during the Korean War and a lot of other things that were going on, and yet he took the time out of his schedule every three months to receive a briefing from Air Force Intelligence and the CIA on, wait for it, UFOs. Now, are there any professional academic historians, any who are listening out there, who find that in the least bit interesting? Or the fact that the very first civilian UFO organization in the United States that got any real traction, uh, known as NICAP, National Investigative Committee on Aerial Phenomena, their, their first their original board of directors included the very first director of the CIA, Roscoe Hellencutter, an admiral. He was on the board of NICAP. Are there any historians of the CIA who find that fact the least bit interesting? In other words, what I'm saying is that for professional journalists who may not believe that the UFO phenomenon is, is um, caused by extraterrestrials, they don't have to believe that. Are they at least curious enough to ask, what is the uh, story behind these official documents that show grave interest? What is the story behind Harry Truman's briefings on flying saucers that went for four and a half years? What is the story of why the first director of the CIA was a board member of NICAP? And in fact, why that man went before Congress in 1960 and said that there is this shroud of secrecy over the matter of flying saucers, which he did. I mean, these are just, if nothing else, they're just fascinating. And unless someone has just drained all of the curiosity out of their blood, uh, I don't really see why someone wouldn't want to know about this. But when I was um, working on my doctoral dissertation in Cold War studies 22 years ago, I stumbled into this subject. And it was this jarring sense of uh, what I uh, and called back then a schizophrenic culture, you know, where there's official truth and then there's this unofficial truth. And it was that, that jarring sense to me that I, I simply was not able to let it go. I had to pursue it. Uh, here I was studying the world of 1950 and, and the national security policy of President Truman, and suddenly I'm confronted with the likelihood, or at least the claim, that he was interested in the flying saucer phenomenon. Well, I needed to know that. I couldn't go through my life with this big question mark hanging over my head. And so I thought, well, I'll take a little bit of time to resolve that. And that was 22 years ago, and here I am. But I, I would think that anyone in professional journalism or in the academic world who's got some curiosity here, I, I'm just here to tell them there is a lot to chew on. And, you know, the... the problem, I guess I would say the challenge, is that this is a genuine mystery. This really is a mystery. This is a phenomenon that is elusive. And it's quite possible that we are dealing with something that engages us at the limits of our own perceptual abilities at times. I mean, we're intelligent creatures, but maybe we have our limits too. Uh, it's quite possible, at least I've speculated, that we are dealing with something that we really may, never may truly 
fully grasp in all of its enormity, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be trying. Well, I suspect there's something going on here. It's, it's real and it's important. When they hear your presentation, uh, the uh, the journalists on the other side will be catching a few flies, as the old saying goes, uh, with their mouths wide open. What are you going to give them to chew on? Let's talk about uh, your presentation, uh, UFO incursions, for example, into nuclear uh, um, bases. Well, this is something that has a long history. Um, you know, we have uh, documents that, that uh, and I, I prefer to go off of declassified, absolutely, you know, unarguable documents. I just feel like that's, uh, in this type of a context, the safest way to go. Um, so there are some of the key documents. They're not all nuclear. One that is very well known to UFO researchers, which still, sadly, is not well, well known enough to the rest of the world is the famous Twining Memo from 1947 by uh, Air Force General Nathan Twining, who later became a four-star general chief of staff of the U.S. Air Force. This is a very powerful man who, in uh, answering a query from another general in 1947, stated point blank that this phenomenon of flying saucers was real, not visionary or fictitious. This other general had wanted to know, is this flying saucer thing anything that I need to deal with. And Twining was saying, yes, this is a real thing. And then described in remarkable detail the qualities of these, of these objects, as reported by military observers, including extreme rates of crime and maneuverability, action which must be considered evasive when sighted, metallic or light reflection, reflecting surface, absence of trail, circular or elliptical in shape, flat on bottom and domed on top. I asked, what is that in 1947, flat on bottom and domed on top? There are um, a number of other of these documents. One of the more interesting ones is an FBI memo from 1949, which describes uh, a series of absolutely awe-inspiring violations of airspace that the FBI was monitoring over U.S. military uh, installations. I mean, objects going, in, in one case, up to 27,000 miles per hour. This is uh, in one of the memos. Uh, another one traveling at an estimated speed of almost 3,000 miles per hour. These are absolutely beyond anything that uh, was contemplated at the time. Um, over places like Los Alamos, uh, where the United States, of course, uh, one of the key places developed the atomic bomb. Over places like Oak Ridge Nuclear Facility in the state of Tennessee. Over places like the Hanford Nuclear Plant in the state of Washington. My goodness, there was a document from 1950 over dealing with the Hanford plant, which stated, this was a classified memo at the time. No one knew about it at the time. It said, objects round in form have been sighted over the Hanford plant. Air Force jets attempted interception with negative results. Uh, fighter battalion squadrons have been alerted. Uh, the FBI has been alerted. Air Force intelligence has been alerted. Investigation is ongoing. And this is the kind of thing that we're talking about. And uh, it just continues and on and on and on. Uh, so I, I think what I think journalists need to understand is that while the United States government, in particular, was telling the world that all of this flying saucer nonsense was simply mistaken, the case of mistaken identity, in reality, the classified world was dealing with a serious problem. And by the way, 
they were asking all the logical questions that you and I and listeners would ask, which was, did the Russians come up with something uh, in their classified world? Did they invent flying saucers? This was asked actively. Another question that was asked is, is this something that we came up with in our uh, clandestine military development program? And the fact is that as far as we can tell, um, no one no one said yes, this is the answer. Like no one concluded that it was the Russians or the Americans or anyone else for that matter. The, the evidence just isn't there. So what you have is this true head-scratcher of a phenomenon. And again, to me, the... Um, the real issue to start with. This is a phenomenon, the topic that takes you in step by step by step, like a like a flight of stairs into the basement. And we can start simply by asking why this discrepancy? Why, on the one hand, ridicule and dismissal officially, at the same time, within the classified world, grave concern by objects that behave in an extraordinary way. We can speculate as to the answers. Uh, I don't think it's very difficult to understand. I mean, if you're, if you're a milita- responsible military official or intelligence community official and you've got this phenomenon that you're trying to deal with and you can't deal with it, maybe you just don't want to tell the world about what's going on because you don't really have good answers yourself or the answers you have maybe a bit too jarring and unsettling and indeed revolutionary for the society that you're in. And you just may decide that secrecy is paramount no matter what else that secrecy on this subject must be kept. That's a real possibility. And in fact, that's my working hypothesis. And I think that of many other people. All right. We're, uh, we're going to head into a break here momentarily. Uh, interesting, some interesting breakthroughs in 2016 in May, we had a, uh, a reporter part of the uh, the White House press corps who actually asked a UFO question at a presidential press briefing uh, recently, New York Times and, the, and Vanity Fair, uh, uh, talking about uh, John Podesta and his efforts to, uh, to, uh, to push the string in terms of UFO disclosure. They've mentioned the Rockefeller Initiative. I mean, these are major strides forward in the U.S. press. Uh, what will happen up here in, in Canada? We will find out, perhaps, June 24th, 25th, 26th at the uh, Alien Cosmic Expo. Richard Dolan stays with us. Likewise, Victor Vigiani back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Richard Dolan is with us, among the world's leading researchers and historians of the UFO subject, and uh, his website is richarddolanpress.com, richarddolanpress.com. Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network is here. Victor, how do we find your, uh, your dispatches? Well, you can go to uh, any one of my two websites, uh, Zealand Communications, just to Google Zealand Communications, or you can actually Google uh, Zealand Blogspot. That's where we have all of the press releases, so you can uh, find all the information out there. 
Richard, I want to go back to something uh, we started on earlier about the press, and it sort of ties in with the whole issue of you know where the the you know the nuclear uh, visitations over the over Maelstrom and et cetera go, with that kind yeah. of really um, you know damaging information. I remember watching uh, the the Boston Globe. Uh, the, the, the movie Spotlight about how the Boston Globe came forward about the abuses of the Catholic Church, uh, the priests and so on, and how it really didn't catch on to begin with because the story really wasn't that big, you know, it really didn't amount to much. But then eventually it landed up being, you know, one of the biggest stories the Boston Globe and the United States has ever dealt with. Um, when, when we get to the point where a newspaper, any given newspaper, be it the New York Times, the Toronto Star, whatever, do you think or do you see or feel that the same kind of angst that all the publishers went through in order to decide to go forward with this issue, let's say, let's call it the nuclear issue or that's the UFO issue in general, do you see any possibility of a major um, media outlet actually, you know, the publisher sitting down in a room, you know, three o'clock in the morning, say, what the heck are we going to do with this with this news? Should we should we bust it open or should we just you know you know toe the line and keep quiet? How, how do you see that? That's a really good question, Victor. Um, I think that I think we'll have we'll have a good chance of doing this if uh, and I'm speaking as a historian, so I, my my tendency is to look at cases in the past. But I think it's very important that uh, we as researchers are stay up to date on current uh, current sightings that are actually very difficult and inexplicable. The fact is that they go on all the time. Uh, the two primary websites that collect contemporary UFO reports collect roughly 15,000 raw sightings per year in the U.S. and Canada alone. Uh, that's the National UFO Reporting Center and the MUFON website. And uh, combined, they, they, they're between 10 and 15 every year, closer to 15. Of those 15, there are always uh, a relatively small handful of absolutely spectacular cases. So I think it's important for us as researchers to keep this current and to emphasize to, re, uh, to reporters and journalists that this is not something in the distant past. That's one thing. The other thing is that we as a society, uh, I, I have noticed this. I think just below the surface of this culture that is still one of generally dismissal, at least in the mainstream, that there is a growing recognition that the subject is indeed quite serious, and, and witness the transformation even in the last 10 years from uh, U.S. presidential candidate Dennis Kucinich, who in 2008 was really ridiculed out of the presidential race, partly because he was a UFO witness, despite the fact that he was a witness with two other people who vouched for him, and it was a heck of a good sighting in the early 1980s of a black triangle. Uh, but that that didn't save him. He was he was out. And now the New York Times did really what I can only describe as a puff piece on Hillary Clinton and UFOs just a month or so ago, in which they really didn't didn't take her to task at all. Hillary Clinton had been on the Jimmy Kimmel show, just as Bill had and just as Barack Obama had, and Jimmy Kimmel asked each of those three individuals about UFOs. And Hillary uh, you know, she, her campaign manager, of course, is John Podesta, who everyone knows is very interested in UFOs. Hillary not only stated that she would be interested, I mean, she really gave kind of a lame answer, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, she would look into UFOs at Area 51, whatever even that means these days. 
But one significant thing she did was to correct his terminology and say, well, you don't call them UFOs. We call them UAP, unexplained aerial phenomena. And when she did that, what she was essentially saying to the world is, I know about this subject. I take it seriously enough to know some of the arcane nomenclature. That was significant. And, you know, in the aftermath of that, the New York Times handled her with that subject very much with kid gloves. I think primarily because the main American media has decided that they want Hillary to be president. They didn't want to, they didn't want to embarrass her. But the fact is that they handled the subject very delicately and without ridicule, which you would expect. So there is there's a definite shift that is occurring, and it is because of 20 years of the web. It is because of 20 years of social media and people being able freely to exchange their opinions outside of a corporate media-dominated context. And because of that, it's becoming harder and harder to deny the fact that this is a subject that's got some cultural traction. And, and so what I can envision is just like, uh, as you were starting off by talking about the, the, the Boston Globe's coverage of the Catholic Church, and how for the longest time this seemed like it would be a non-issue, a story that would just kind of die, right? And suddenly it blew up because people discovered that they cared. I believe absolutely that this is a subject that is waiting to explode. It has been waiting to explode for a long time. In my travels, whether I'm going to a, a conference about the subject of UFOs or just walking through life, you know, uh, in my daily life, I, I can see that people actually are interested. They have a hunger. They don't always realize that they have a hunger for truth on this until they're confronted with it. So our job as responsible researchers is to prevent, to, excuse me, to present this evidence in as powerful a way as we can to the public to initiate that discourse. That's really been my life's work for the past two decades, is to, is to present this phenomenon in the most responsible way to engage a, uh, a skeptical but, let's say, intelligent public that wants to know what is the evidence. Well, the fact is that there's a tremendous amount of it, and it demands an explanation in one way or another. All right, and uh, you will do that on the morning of June 25th at the Alien Cosmic Expo, Brantford, Ontario, when you will uh, face off against a panel of mainstream journalists. When we come back... We will uh, continue this discussion. Richard Dolan, UFO historian, Victor Vigiani, executive director, Zeland News Network. Stay with us. The truth will set you free. But first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. Richard Dolan stays with us. 
Victor Vigiani in studio from Zealand News Network, and uh, we are, of course, uh, talking about the upcoming Alien Cosmic Expo in Brantford, June 24th, 25th, 26th. And uh, Richard, uh, earlier in the hour, you were uh, discussing the, the sort of the evolution of uh, the, you know the nature of the secrecy. Uh, you talked about um, um, Mockingbird and how uh, you know uh, Carl Bernstein sort of hinted at that, or not? Didn't he didn't hint at yeah. it? He, he blew the whistle on that in the Rolling Stone magazine sure back in, in 1978. But since I mean, now 40 years later, where are we? Uh, I mean, how does this? How do they manage to to keep a lid on 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 this now in in terms of controlling the mainstream media? It's actually uh, more insidious now, honestly, than it was back in the 1970s. Uh, it's, I, I hate to say it, you know, there are some very, very excellent um, media analysts who are worth listening to in the West. Uh, I'm a big fan of a fellow named Robert McChesney, for instance, um, always worth listening to. And there's many, many others who have really taken the time to analyze the structure of Western media and particularly its relationship to, um, you know, the institution of of power, whether it's Wall Street, financial power, or national security, intelligence community power. And all of these are kind of an intertwined phenomenon, unfortunately. Um, So what we have in the, um, you know, just to give you one example, uh, because information does does seep out in various uh, venues. And one was uh, a story about the United States Pentagon spending... uh, $4 $4 billion a year uh, to manage its social image, uh, which includes, among other things, the paying of, uh, of Internet trolls, uh, which they call sock puppets. So, you know, all of those nice little articles that you read online, and there's all the comments below, and you see some that are really, truly obnoxious, and you wonder, gee, I wonder, I wonder if they're uh, legitimate. Well, a lot of them are literally the creations of paid Pentagon employees, whose job is to insert their opinions below uh, below these articles and to persuade and to cajole and so forth. Uh, we're very lucky due to the revelations of people like Edward Snowden, who, you know, in his efforts to get the truth out, demonstrated how the U.S. intelligence community uses propaganda at all levels, and British intelligence as well, including with, um, you know, intimate relationships with the mainstream media. A lot of it's out in the open, though. Um, there's almost a revolving door between uh, the world of media, the world of Pentagon, the world of academia, the world of industry. Uh, they really all walk within the same circles. And uh, so it's it's almost like the creation of this uh, culture, an elite culture, in which... You know, we don't really have watchdog media so much as, as many have said, as a lapdog media. And I think that this is really not an inaccurate characterization. Now, I, I don't want to condemn the journalists who are going to be attending uh, our event. I think, in fact, I want to welcome them and, and congratulate them and maybe just challenge them um, to have a little bit of bravery to take a look at a subject that once one scratches the surface, and I can say this from personal experience, you know, when I dove into the UFO phenomenon over 20 years ago, I, I too thought, oh goodness, I don't really want anyone to know that I'm studying this. Here I was working on Harry Truman's Cold War strategy, and now I'm looking at UFOs. 
<laughs> what I discovered is that uh, within the world of government, within the world of the military, and within the world of the intelligence community, I was actually, years ago, I was astonished to find people of brilliant uh, intellectual levels and attainment, some, I would say, near genius levels, who, is, who are very well plugged in, indeed, who would quietly come up to me and say, yes, uh, this type of research is very important and this is a serious subject. I will never, for the rest of my life, forget the conversations that I had with the recently deceased astronaut, Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell, the sixth man to walk on the moon. Edgar Mitchell and I uh, spoke. He told me on one occasion explicitly about his high-level meetings in which he had confirmed to him the existence of deep secret programs where alien technology and bodies were being studied. Edgar Mitchell said this to me, and he said it publicly a couple of times as well. So this is not the same as having proof, but this is a very prominent individual indeed. And I think, again, the media would be obligated to ask, why would Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell make such a claim? Why would... Um, you know, other prominent generals and military officials over the years make similar claims. They actually go back through the years. I have a large collection of these quotes from um, high-level military and intelligence community officials. That they be, just keep yeah. going and going. That being said, Rich, um, you, know, you talk to someone like Edgar, um, and I've spoken to him uh, twice about the same same issue in terms of how mm -hmm. he was told. Um, you take a look at a high-profile person like that, and someone like uh, you know the Hillen Cutters from from way back when, and even yeah. someone like Paul Hellyer now. Uh, the there is this sort of national perspective on how we think this this uh, you know embargo of the truth or cover-up goes on and how it's orchestrated. But there's also the uh, also the uh, the international component of how other countries yeah. are, are 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 choked. Uh, yeah. You know, the big interest uh, of yeah. I mean, how does that happen? I mean, Mr. Yeah. Putin Putin, I, I think, knows about this. What would he think of, uh, he said, well, let's just blow the whistle. Well, I would say this. So there's roughly almost 200 separate sovereign nations on planet Earth. But, of course, we have to recognize that nearly none of them have true sovereignty. Most of those nations are under direct U.S. domination, uh, really quite overtly. So particularly when you look at military relationships, intelligence community relationships, um, when you look at the fact that the NSA monitors literally almost every every single phone call from every national leader, and we know this for sure. There are exactly two significant nations that are outside the U.S. orbit, and that is Russia and China. There's Iran, there's a smaller nation, there's Syria, and there's North Korea, but really of, of major powerful nations. We're talking Russia and China. So all the other nations we can really dismiss in the sense that they are never ever, ever going to act independently outside of what the U.S. wants. It is never going to happen. Um, we, we could discuss this at, at length. The fact is that they are varying levels of what we can say vassal states or cooperative. Um, you know, some of the more powerful nations like Britain have a closer relationship, but most of these nations have, a much, and Canada as well, but most have a much more subservient role directly to the U.S. interests. They're just not going to step out of line. Now, Russia's different and China's different. Russia, um, it is conceivable 
because they clearly have had a long history of their own UFO encounters. They've had their own history of UFO crashes and apparent retrieval. They've had a long history of, of their own jets chasing these things. I mean, just as deep as what you get in the U.S. and Canada and elsewhere. So the question is, would they re- disclose? Well, they, and also China, for this matter, face the same fundamental problem that the United States faces. So if they voluntarily disclose this reality, which undoubtedly they can do, my contention has always been that this is as upsetting and destabilizing to them as it would be to the U.S., if for no other reason than it it, it fractures the, the dominant oil paradigm of energy on this planet. In other words, let's just say that Vladimir Putin were to go before the world tomorrow and say that this is real, UFOs are real. So it would take all of five minutes for people to realize, oh, these objects, whatever they're using to go from point A to point B, it's not petroleum. We can assume it's something better than fossil fuels, whatever that answer is, whether it's the fabled uh, you know, zero-point energy or is it something like clean nuclear fusion or whatever. It doesn't even matter. The, the, the key is that it will be out open on the table that once we start looking into this, we realize that this is a real phenomenon. There's a source of energy that is beyond petroleum. So implicit in a post-disclosure world is a post-petroleum civilization. And that is probably one of the top two or three most radical revolutionary um, changes that would come about as a result of disclosure. It's a massive shift in the international structure of power. And I can't think that even that Russia and China would take it lightly. Certainly the United States would not take it lightly, which bases its entire economy on what is known as the petrodollar system. So oh, they're just not going to change it. Well, we are being, uh, pre- we are being prepared, though, for that, that post-hydrocarbon um, economy. We're being told in many jurisdictions, we're not going to sell uh, a, a gas, uh, uh, you know, cars past 2025. Um, I mean... I, is is the nature of the the embargo I'll now that about? When I see it. <laughs> but well, but is is the is the nature of the of the embargo now about managing a disclosure, or are they still? Yes. Is it about uh, we're not we're never going to give this up, or are they saying how Personally, are we going to release I, I th- it? Yeah, I, I think it's the former. I, I do believe. Uh, I mean, we're in a very radical, revolutionary era of our of our history. There's no question about it. We're in the, the most radical period of change in human civilization ever. So I, I think it would be foolish for anyone at the top of our structure of power to think they're going to hang on forever to this secret. It's not going to happen. So, yes, I think that there's a process of trying to manage this wild beast of disclosure in as positive a way as possible for their interests. Because a true, an abrupt disclosure would be one of the most jarring things imaginable and could really cause some serious political repercussions, maybe justly so. Um, but it would cause a, a huge, a huge disruption. So I can easily imagine that those people who are thinking about this, uh, this may be why they encourage Hillary Clinton to essentially rebrand the UFO phenomenon into something called UAPs. Why is that? Because it's less value-laden. You think of UFOs, you think of abductions, you think of conspiracies, you think of Area 51. UAP, not so much. 
So it's possible that there's a, a long-term plan, and I mean long-term, not this year, but maybe in the next decade or more, to rebrand this topic enough while at the same time further control is, is obtained over the global media nexus so that if there's a disclosure moment that comes out, there may not be any com- competitions from other narratives. All right, Rick- I see a possibility. All right, Richard, <clears throat> we'll have to end it there, uh, but we will... Uh... See you on the morning of June 25th, AlienCosmicExpo.com. For more information, RichardDolanPress.com. Thank you, Richard. It was a pleasure. Victor Vigiani, Zealand News Network. Thank you. As always, a pleasure. All right, the website, StrangePlanet.ca. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. Follow the truth. The truth will set you free, but first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, taxi cab, RV camper, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A special welcome to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, right here in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto. 50,000 watts of peace and love. Hello to all of you listening in on the uh, Zoomer Radio app and the Conspiracy Show app, both free downloads, by the way. Those listening to the Conspiracy Show on the podcast, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn.com, iTunes, TalkZone.com. Those of you, of course, catching the live stream on YouTube through our HOA. And, of course, all of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations, wherever and however you're listening. Welcome and thanks for your fine company. Our fine uh, paranormal investigator, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, uh, will join us at the bottom of the hour for our monthly paranormal news roundup. And we'll talk about a number of stories, including Alice Cooper, rock star Alice Cooper, and his plans to launch a hunt for a werewolf in Hull, England, and the uh, the possibility of a time traveler uh, captured on video uh, back in 1995 during a Mike Tyson fight. Uh, plus some gruesome murders in a doll cemetery. That's all up and coming with Rosemary Ellen Guiley at the bottom of the hour. 
Uh, Victor Vigiani, the executive director of Zeland News Network, and Don Emilio Zeno, broadcaster and field investigator with the Mutual UFO Network in Quebec, both standing by uh, to discuss... Oh, this is a remarkable tale. When when we talk about uh, Canada and UFOs, um, many of us maybe could point to Shag Harbor, the incident in 1967, incredibly well-documented UFO incident. Uh, but there are others, uh, and uh, perhaps chief among them uh, is the Place Bonaventure UFO incident, which occurred back in November of 1990. This may be one you're not familiar with. Well, you will be after the next uh, 30 minutes uh, when Victor and uh, Don Emilio Zeno uh, weigh in on that. Let me just remind you, coming up on June the 27th, that's a Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, Monday, June 27th, 9 p.m., the uh, debut of Season 4 of The Conspiracy Show, the television program, Monday, June 27th, 9 p.m. Eastern, across Canada on Vision TV, and then for the next six weeks, running until Monday, August the 1st. And again, 9 p.m. Eastern, Vision TV, and you'll want to check your uh, your local listings to find out you know where Vision is on your cable provider. All right. Uh, Victor, uh, or I should mention, Albert Vinzel is here, of course, running our HOA, our Hangout on Air, and if you want to stream the program... On YouTube, all you need to go is uh, to do is go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T. Find the uh, the tweet at the uh, top of the uh, the feed with the HOA link in it. Just click on it. It's got big capital letters, HOA. Click on that, and then you are off to the races, and you are streaming this radio program on YouTube. Isn't it grand? Technology. All right. Uh, Don Emilio Zeno has specialized in the telecommunications business. He's had several positions as a radio host and in TV and web video. He was promoted to the Provincial Director of Investigation uh, for MUFON in November of 2014. His dynamism and keen interest in ufology, as well as his ability to fluently speak several languages, made him a prime candidate for the position of Director of Investigations for MUFON Quebec. Don Emilio Zeno, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm doing great, Richard. How are you guys doing? We're terrific. Thank you. And when, let me once again uh, welcome uh, Victor Vigiani, the executive news uh, or the executive director of Zeland Communications and Zeland News Network. Victor, welcome once again. Once again, a pleasure to be with you, Richard. All right, Don, let's just jump in because time is tight. Uh, November 7th, 1990, a woman swimming in a pool at uh, the Place de Bonaventure. Uh, what happened? What did she see? What, did, what, 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 uh, what transpired after that? First of all, if you'll allow me, as I've uh, requested uh, forehand, um, I want to thank you guys for having me on your show. I think you've got a great show, and it's always a pleasure listening to Richard Dolan. I just want to express my favorite words when dealing with UFO, or a.k.a. UAP language. I love to use conjecture, plausible, I paraphrase a lot, and speculation, a word that Richard Dolan has used several times, and this way you can never get in trouble. Now, um, as you well stated, I'm not a, an historian, I'm not a ufologist, for lack of better words, but I am with MUFON, Quebec, and by the way, I'm the Montreal director, I'm not the state director, just to clear out things, because I know our good buddy Stu Bundy and uh, Marc Saint-Germain are listening in. Um, by the way, these are my personal views tonight. 
they're not necessarily shared nor endorsed by MUFON. And by the way, as an ex-radio host, uh, please interrupt me in case I do not come up for air. <laughs> not to worry. I, All I, right. I, you can All rest right. assured. I just want to make a quick opening statement, and then we're down to business, because I've got a lot to tell our listeners uh, out there across North America. Uh, this is my personal opinion. The U.S. and Canadian governments, I think, are xenophobic. I know it sounds like my last name, but there, there is such a word, for lack of better words. Um, when dealing with the UFO phenomenon, I sincerely uh, believe that our governments uh, are controlled by the almighty MIC regimes, which for uh, newcomers is the military-industrial complex, a.k.a. shadow government. Now, I'm kind of hesitant, but let me say it anyways. It's plausible to say that they've been bullcrapping. Notice I retain the real word because I'm live on air. Bullcrapping humanity for the last hundred years with their above top secrets cover ups. Now, my quest as an insufferable UFO crusader is to seek out the facts, whether in conjecture or not and share them with the public. You know, guys, uh, at this stage of my life, selfish extreme wealth is no longer my driving force. Uh, like millions of believers out there, um, I'm, I'm gonna try and contribute my services as a UFO investigator or reporter of some kind for, for, for really for the purpose of encouraging the more enlightened generation not to participate in what I call misguided secret agenda of the MIC, which is money, power, destruction of all those who interfere with their devilish agenda. Okay. No, I, I, you're going to accuse me of watching too many X-Files, okay. which I do, by the way. No worries. But let's, let's just jump right in because a, a time is tight. Let's, let's um, tell us, for those not familiar, give us a brief chronology uh, of well, uh, November my, 7th, 1990. Right. Montreal's uh, November 7th, precisely, 1990, UFO sighting was over a major downtown skyscraper, still called Plaza Bonaventure, okay? So what happened is that you, you had uh, way above on the rooftop, on their, uh, near their swimming pool, you had dozens of onlookers that saw this gigantic uh, craft, let's call it a craft, which was circa, according to uh, sources, reliable sources, 10,000 feet into the air. You know, your run-of-the-mill UFO, huge, 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 and uh, was kind of stationary, hovering, noiseless. I need to point out noiseless. And all these people saw it. So they summoned the Montreal Police Force, and uh, right away Sergeant uh, Francois Lippe, uh, not sergeant, but the constable, went on his way and went on the rooftop and he saw it with his own eyes. Now you know that police officers and pilots are usually very credible people. You know, they don't hallucinate, they don't fabricate, and they don't fabulate. So just the facts, and the fact is that he called his sergeant at the time, which was his now retired chief of police, uh, Rabai Masson, and he says, Chief, you gotta come up here, you gotta come up here, you gotta see with your own eyes. So. Rabbi Masson went up and he saw it with his own two eyes, and he described it's all over YouTube in the last 15 years. Uh, he, and I paraphrase, he says, this craft uh, way up there, and he mentioned eight to 10,000 feet uh, approximately, 
has to be the size of three football fields with all the pulsating lights, you know, run-of-the-mill UFO. And then what happened, he calls, he summons the RCMP, and then Sergeant Luc Morin from the RCMP comes up on the rooftop as well, and it's party time, and they're saying, what the heck is this, blah, 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 blah. So they called St. Hubert Airport and Dorval at the time, which is Pierre Elliott Trudeau Airport, uh, radar people and said, you guys see anything? Nope, 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 we don't see anything. So then they called the military base in St. Hubert and they said, no, we don't, we don't see anything. But sure enough, someone contacted NORAD, which everyone knows the North uh, American uh, Air Defense, and they scrambled two F-18s, which they couldn't see them because it was dark, but um, the F-18s swished by and, and, and they heard them, and of course they were taking aerial photos, and that was the purpose of the F-18s, and, and the ship was still there, and the fact is that um, they took pictures, then they called the La Presse, a journalist from La Presse, and uh, Marcel Laroche, who took in those days with his 35-millimeter camera, took a beautiful, beautiful pictures, and by the way, this is what I want to disclose right now, I've got uh, copies of those original photos in safekeeping. And uh, by the way, the police reports that were made by the RCMP and the Montreal Police Force, of which I've got certified photocopies, were allegedly confiscated by NORAD the following day. But guess what? There's copies lying all over the place in safekeeping. All right, Don, listen, we're going to take a time out. We'll come back and uh, discuss further. Class Bonaventure UFO incident, November 7, 1990. Victor Vigiani in Studio Zeland News Network. And the aforementioned Don Emilio Zeno from Quebec MUFON. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. The Place Bonaventure UFO incident of November 1990. That is our our subject on the line from uh, Montreal is Don Emilio Zeno and in studio, Victor Vigiani from Zeland News Network. Uh, Don... I mean, the Victor was just telling me that th- th- this is very striking. One of the aspect aspects of this sighting is the duration. This thing dragged on for what three hours? Three hours between seven and ten p.m. All right. Now, just a point of clarification: Who came in and swept up some of these documents, and who did they who did they take them from? They took the documents uh, from the RCMP, were the last people that had to uh, surrender the documents. But you know, like surrender they, them to whom? To the NORAD people. Okay, and how do we know this? 
How do we know this? I've got certified photocopies of the police documents on both ends, Montreal and the RCMP. Okay, but, but how does that prove that NORAD came in and, and took them? Well, because I, I interviewed the uh, chief of police on the phone when I reopened this case 25 years later. Okay. And he, uh, he attested to the fact that that's what happened. And then when I teased him by saying, uh, come on down, meaning chief, chief police chief, are you sure? He says, look, guy, I know what I saw, okay? I'm a trained police officer. He kind of got mad. And I said, no, no, listen, I'm just doing my job. No problem. I categorically believe every word, and there's many, many witnesses, but here's the best one, okay, which I saved for last. Um, Florian Kostash, who's a renowned world musician, violinist, happened to be playing there that night when he saw everybody running out of the hall in order to go up on the rooftop and see what the heck was happening. Now, let me tell you something about Florian Kostash. He's an abductee, an alleged abductee, fair enough, since a child. And he had a, a very uh, close experiences uh, with, uh, let's call them extraterrestrials. Now, guess what? Uh, and this is conjecture, by the way. Uh, was the UFO tracking down one of their abductees that night, or was it a mere coincidence? And this is something that I've got the whole report on Florian Kostash, which I have not entered on the CMS uh, for MUFON yet until I completely investigate the ins and outs, but this is factual, all right? So, and all these people that saw the alleged UFO, alleged because I wasn't there, but I'm basing myself on all these reports, police officers and so on and so forth. So why did NORAD scramble? I mean, let's face it, guys. If this thing were a blimp of some kind, you think NORAD would scramble two F-18s at you know fifty thousand dollars an hour to, uh, operating cost in order to chase a blimp? No, uh, this thing was huge, and then it just took off and so on and so forth. And the rest is history. And by the way, the photos that I'll be bringing over at the Alien uh, exhibition in two weeks. Uh, we're verified by Dr. Richard Haynes, and I paraphrase what he said, is that the evidence for the existence of a highly unusual hovering silent large object is indisputable. Has anybody, Don, uh, correlated the the fact that, you know, you we, we saw, you know, I saw pictures of, of what you saw uh, on one of the YouTube uh, demonstrations. There was a power failure, apparently, that happened at the same time. Did anyone correlate that in the media afterwards in terms of this thing perhaps causing the power failure? Well, power failure all over Montreal? Well, my understanding on one of the reports, uh, Hydro-Quebec did report a power failure during that three-hour period. Uh, honestly, I wasn't aware of that. The, oh, okay. uh, the, um, uh, the uh, chief of police, Masson, did order... Uh, the uh, twin towers to shut their lights to make sure that uh, you know it wasn't a reflection of any kind coming from the building pointing upwards. The report did state that whatever the object was was flashing its lights downwards. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so we ruled out any reflections of any kind. This has been ruled out. Yeah, because there was a, apparently a, a construction site close by that right. had towers. They've asked, yeah, they've so, asked the people to shut down the lights, which they did. It's all over YouTube. Uh, no, guys, this is a real UFO or UAP, and 
and there's no denial. Too many witnesses, and now with uh, Florian Kostash coming up, uh, which I've interviewed uh, a few times, uh, it, it's really uh, has become one of uh, Canada's uh, most famous UFO cases. And like I said, I've got original photos that I'll be bringing with me uh, at the uh, symposium, along with uh, certified photocopies, forgive, I'm being redundant, which any journalist can verify and snap pictures thereof. Mm. Have you and, had an uh, opportunity to uh, to do uh, an access to information request to NORAD uh, to find out if they still have these documents in their possession? I, like I said, I haven't completed my case yet. Everything is in uh, due process. Is it, it, now, because you're in possession of those, I mean... Uh, is that legal? I mean, are you, are you... I don't. We'll soon find out. If they come and arrest me, I'm going to get free room and board. <laughs> All right. And and anything else striking about uh, the, the um, how many pages are we talking about uh, that were that were um, taken by the by by NORAD? How many how many pages of documents? Well, one report is from the Montreal Police Force, which has uh, approximately uh, twelve pages, and the other one is uh, double that from the RCMP. Okay, at what point was NASA called in? Well, they were sent over uh, this um, UFO researcher at the time, Bernard Gannett, worked with Dr. Richard Haynes, and Dr. Richard Haynes examined the photos, and that's when he concluded uh, uh, in 1992, like two years later, that this was a bona fide uh, UFO, uh, you know, unusual hovering sign large, and... Uh, and he estimated he estimated that it was 540 meters wide, which gives out uh, 540 times three, uh, which is about 1,600 uh, feet wide in diameter. My word, half yeah, a yeah, kilometer, no, half no, a kilometer some, wide. Some, some people said, "Listen, I've seen so many blimps in my lifetime. You know, I'm not a spring chicken here. I'm 61 years old. So you know what? It wasn't a blimp. It wasn't a reflection." It wasn't an airplane, it was noiseless. It's your run-of-the-mill UFO, period. This is why I'm so fascinated by this case. And uh, incidentally, I want to thank MUFON for authorizing me to reopen this case because uh, without them, I mean, who am I? I mean, this would not have been possible. And I want to thank you guys again. I know time is running out. Mm, I'm, I want to thank you for having me on your show. I mean, it's great, and I know you've got thousands of listeners and this gives us a very great pedestal and i just want to say one thing okay uh last comment if i may guys yeah go ahead quickly thank you um i just want to give a comment on hillary clinton's alleged ufo disclosure all right she's elected president may i please uh, but uh, if you can limit it to uh to, to 40 30 seconds, seconds. 30 yeah, seconds well, here, okay here, here's you go. my take on this uh mic is so powerful that all presidents, I don't care if it's U.S. of A or anything, they have to do, uh, they're merely puppets representing the MIC desire. She's not going to disclose anything. She's using this as a poker card. And guess what? If Trump were any intelligent, which I think he is, one week prior to the closure of the campaign, he's going to come out and say, listen, guys, even if I'm elected president, I won't be able to disclose anything regarding UFOs above top secrets. These are only poker cards. And for crying out loud, we're at a day and age where these politicians need to stop crapping over 
citizens that work so hard for their money. I mean, now, if, if, if somebody's listening to me and they want to put me in jail, like I said, that's free room and board. I'm looking for free room All right. Let me throw it over to Victor here. He's got another question. No, I just want to find out from you uh, what you expect your investigation, uh, you know, going back to this incident, uh, uh, Don, where do you expect this, um, this investigation to go? What do, you want to, what do you want from it? What I'd like is for someone uh, within NORAD to come out eventually and say, yep, that was a UFO and we hit it for whatever reasons. It's all tied in, of course, because NORAD is part of the MIC. Is, is NORAD um, covered under FOIA? I mean, because it's a joint American-Canadian operation. Can you even make a FOIA request to, to well, NORAD? Let, let, me, let me go out on the limb here, and if it gets me in trouble, so be it. It'll be part of my karma and destiny. Uh, unfortunately, Canada is a small country compared to U.S. of A. Canada does whatever U.S. of A. tells it to do. I mean, let's face it, we're tied in like brothers and sisters on the same continent. Canada cannot, in my opinion do what it pleases in terms of disclosure unless it gets permission from the MIC, which is Uncle Sam. Now, if I, I haven't done anything, I haven't said anything, and by the way, you'd never catch me crossing Area 51, not even for millions of dollars, because I know how not to break the rules. I'm just expressing an opinion for the sake of humanity, because people do not want to be lied to any longer. I don't care what the reason is. We, we, we want the truth. And, and, and if, you know, the MIC would say, listen, we're doing this to protect you uh, by hiding the truth from you, fine, let's move on. Let's continue. Everybody continues working, paying their taxes, and uh, life is one big happy comp- camping ground. That's all I'm saying. And that's why people are irated, frustrated, and uh, with, with all the BS that they've been throwing at us for the last many years. I mean, what can I tell you? It is what it is. Guys, once again, I know I'm running out of time. I want to thank you implicitly. Not, not, not to worry, questions. but well, I'm curious about, you know, no, no radar um, corroboration from uh, the airport. I mean, that, that's kind of interesting, don't you think? Why no, why no sign on the radar? Um, again, uh, people, people in the aviation industry are so scared of revealing anything when it comes to UFOs that they uh, have very strict conditions, deny everything. But you know that the truth is out there. Again, forgive me if I sound like X-Files, but it is what it is. So people will not do anything, just like medias are controlled by God knows who, uh, you've mentioned it before, and so on and so forth. And, 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 you know, and if I weren't self-employed as I am now, I'd probably be scared to come on air and talk about UFOs for fear of ridicule and losing my job. But this is one of the most beautiful things of our century is to be able to ad-lib about, you know, the secrecy of UFOs. And, and, and you guys are doing a great job. Honestly, um, you know, I believe, Richard Dolan, that you know, somehow the truth will come out within the next 10, 15 years. Uh, the baby boomers will eventually die off, and all this old BS of, you know, keeping secrets will be a thing of the past. And I challenge the younger generation, the, the millenniums, to uh, 
give us all a great future in terms of uh, sincerity, honesty, and integrity, and let's move on to greater heights. I mean, that's what life is all about. And you, you will be uh, attending the Alien Cosmic Expo June 24th, 25th, 26th. Uh, yeah, uh, Stu Bundy wanted me to get on stage. Uh, he's making a big mistake. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, to talk about the Montreal UFO experience. And like I said, I'll be bringing all the proofs, including the photos, unless the men in black uh, kidnap me on the way there. All right, and, and you're going to be making a, a formal presentation, and you're hoping, yep. obviously, that the, the mainstream media in, atten- in attendance yeah. uh, will pick up on this story, and perhaps, what, even you would give them permission to reproduce these documents? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because uh, I've, got, I've got the... By the way, these photos, uh, original photos and uh, photocopies, are made possible by Quebec's ufologist, François C. Bourbeau, who's been around... He's truly an ufologist, a uh, very knowledgeable individual. All right, let me work Victor in here one more time here. Victor, yep. Go ahead, Victor. Uh, there you go. Yeah, I just wanted to, to say, uh, Don, if, if you are willing to, um, to put yourself out to put these documents in front of the press, um, if they're of a nature, of such a compelling nature, I think we just could have something here because if you have a journalist with uh, cold stock documents from NORAD or RCMP or the Montreal Police, that is something to go on. So I think we've got something to work with here. Well, I, I, I truthfully, I, I've obtained these uh, certified photocopies from Francois Cibobo, so I haven't done anything wrong. I definitely didn't go into the RCMP or Montreal Police Force archives and steal them. Uh, they were made possible by well, the latter. So, yeah, I mean... Uh, so, sometimes, Don, you've got to do something wrong to get things moving. I think you've done that. That's great. Uh, have I, really? For sure. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> In, in making something secret known, oh, many people would say that's wrong, but, you know, that's not true. We just have seconds here, but um, I should have asked this earlier, perhaps. But the, in your conversation with the, with the, uh, the Montreal, uh, a member of the Montreal police, yep. who talked to you about uh, NORAD coming in, did he give you any details about how that exchange went? I mean, were they, were they rude? Were they abrupt? Were they aggressive? No, they just walked in and they said, from this moment on, we're NORAD. You know, they, they know the uh, chain of command and how it works. NORAD has got uh, top uh, clearance, top security, and they can take whatever papers they want from the RCMP all the way down. Took the papers, and that was it. And that was was at highly um, public information. And then when I saw these papers eight months ago, I said, holy crap, how did you get them? He goes, never mind, I'm, I'm a ufologist, journalist, uh, uh, never mind where they came from. Wow, <laughs> I couldn't believe, I mean, it was like, you know, it was an ecstasy because I'm passionate about UFO matters, especially the Montreal UFO incident. Right, right. And, and then, and this is why I'm gonna bring all this stuff with me and there's other photocopies. They've got negatives. I mean, everything is in safekeeping. So if they, even if they uh, beat me up and beat uh, Borbo up, there's other people that have uh, safekeeping. So anything happens to us, you'll know that uh, they're onto something that All right. they don't want the public to know. Don Emilio Zeno, uh, yeah. Quebec MUFON. Thank you so much for this, and we'll see you uh, at the Alien Cosmic Expo. You bet. You have a nice. Thank you. Victor Vigiani, thank you once again. Zeland Communications. Always a pleasure to dig deep into this stuff. Give us a, a website. Zeland Communications, just Google that, or Zeland Communications Blogspot. 
All right, see you June 24, 25, 26 at the Alien Cosmic Expo. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator, standing by with some terrific stories. We'll get to those next when The Conspiracy Show continues. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Uh, Just a reminder, next week on the broadcast, John Guandalo, former FBI agent, will be here uh, to talk about... uh, radical Islamic uh, terrorism and also those missing 28 pages from the 9-11 report and whether they may hold the key not only to our understanding of what really happened on 9-11 but uh, perhaps provide some insights on how we can uh, prevent something like that from happening again. John Guandalo. Then uh, two of the principals, well the two principals really, the the writer and the illustrator of a brand new comic book series called Cryptocracy. Uh, These are uh, two uh, gentlemen um, very well known in the uh, the comic book world, and they've sort of launched out on their own uh, with this new series. And the very first issue uh, features yours truly. Uh, not a huge role in the comic book, but I am uh, featured on one of the pages. And uh, we'll tell you all about cryptocracy uh, next week on the program. Now, just a programming note, and thank you for Albert for reminding me this. Uh, last week, when we had Leo Wanta on the program, along with his uh, editor and producer, uh, Lon Gibby, um, they mentioned a piece of audio tape, a telephone recording that they have, which is really revealing. Um, It is allegedly, uh, I believe, a former U.S. US governor, I think from the state of Tennessee, and a a senator in the United States, uh, who are essentially caught uh, on this audio recording asking for sort of their share of um, of Leo's trillions, asking for sort of a, a kickback, I suppose, if you will. And I had mentioned that I was hoping to play that on the program, that, uh, an excerpt from that audio recording. We're not going to do it this week. We don't have time. But next week, uh, perhaps in the, um, the second hour, I will play excerpts from that uh, telephone audio recording that Leo Wanta, the, uh, what is he, the $31.2 trillion man mentioned. All right. Let's talk uh, paranormal. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is our uh, regular contributor, of course. She joins us uh, every month at this time. The author of more than 60 books, many of them major encyclopedic works on the paranormal and the supernatural. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, the website visionaryliving.com. Rosemary, how are you? Well, good evening, Richard. I've just gotten back from a wonderful weekend in Baltimore. I was a speaker at Fort Fest again this year. And the Fortians, as you may know, are people who are intensely interested in everything unexplained. And um, I've been part of that organization for quite a long time. So um, it, it was really a stimulating event. All right. I want to talk to you about this um, this doll cemetery and some gruesome murders uh, that have taken place in the 
uh, in the Doll Cemetery. The interesting thing is we don't, we're not really sure where this Doll Cemetery is. Well, I'll tell you, Richard, this story has a lot of problems. And uh, first of all, there's no location for this Doll Cemetery. Uh, it, it made the rounds on the Internet, and uh, there's British spelling in the story, and so people speculate that it uh, might be in England, but it's definitely uh, outside the U.S. But this story has all the hallmarks of either a hoax or urban legend, and uh, one of them is the lack of a specific location. Supposedly there's this creepy doll cemetery. Nobody knows how it started, but uh, discarded dolls, have started being dumped there, and it became like a burial ground for all kinds of dolls. Well, dolls are creepy to a lot of people, so there's that instant creep factor right there that uh, something supernatural could be going on. And then the story goes on to to relate how uh, some girls, three girls, are rather gruesomely uh, murdered. They go uh, missing, and they're found there in the cemetery, and it seems to be tied to an old caretaker. No names, no dates. Uh, nothing that can really be tracked down um, by records and facts. And uh, so it's a great story, but I really think it falls into the category of uh, an urban legend. Uh, it does sound reminiscent of um, uh, the Island of the Dolls, which is in, I can't pronounce the name of the town, but it's in Mexico. Yes, a similar story. And um, it, it also bears a lot of similarities to... Uh, other uh, teen violent and urban legends like the Red Hook, that's another cemetery story, um, and there are variations of that. It's a teenage boy and girl go to a cemetery to park and make out, uh, and they're in their car, and this hook slams down on the hood, and um, it's related to... Um, the ghost of a, a murder victim, and they're gruesomely killed by this hook. Uh, so um, I think it's a, a story intended mostly to scare teenagers. Well, it does have all sort of the uh, the trademarks of a, an urban legend, as you say. However, as you have pointed out many times on this program, and that is that, that dolls are one of the most commonly haunted uh, objects, correct? They are, and uh, I've done a lot of research on this, and my co-author in Haunted by the Things You Love, John Zaffis, um, uh, who has a paranormal museum, and, you know, we've talked about it on your show, the number one item that lands uh, in his museum as a result of uh, cases of haunted objects, dolls, and the clown dolls especially, I, I think it's because uh, dolls really act as substitutes for human beings. They, they're they made in a human image, of course, and uh, people often invest them with uh, an extension of their own personality or they imagine personalities around the dolls. And uh, they seem to be um, very susceptible to uh, housing uh, spirit activity. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is with us. She joins us this time every month for our Paranormal uh, News Roundup, and her website is visionaryliving.com. We're heading into a break here shortly, but uh, perhaps we'll, um, we'll, we'll start the conversation now, continue after the break, and that has to do with this uh, werewolf sighting in Hull in the United Kingdom. And um, rock legend Alice Cooper, of all people, uh, apparently is launching or organizing a hunt uh, for this creature. We will uh, talk about it when we come back. Rosemary Ellen Guiley stays with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. 
if you're sure your phone isn't tapped. Call now, 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. All right, welcome back. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is with us. And uh, next month, uh, Rosemary is going to join us for the full hour. You've got a, a brand new book out um, relating to uh, the Ouija board. Tell us about that, Rosemary. Are you there, Rosemary? Did we lose her? Oh, there uh, she is. Richard? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought uh, something happened to the connection there. It always does <laughs> when you're on this program. <laughs> we, we start talking about Ouija boards and what happened. There you go. Exactly. Every time, practically. The book is uh, The Zozo Phenomenon, and I've co-authored it with Darren Evans, who's been collecting Zozo information for a couple of decades now. And Zozo is a negative entity, possibly demonic. Uh, We explore the origins in the book, but a negative entity who uh, seems to prefer the Ouija board for its access to people. And unsuspecting uh, people who use spirit boards and Ouija boards, whether they're commercial or homemade, sometimes have rather terrifying and unsettling encounters with this uh, entity that uh, in some cases literally takes them over. So uh, we uh, tell Darren's story, his own um, uh, deterioration at the hands of this entity and how he recovered from that, and we we dig into a long history to uh, try and uncover exactly who Zozo is and what it's doing. All right. Um, what do you make of this story? Alice Cooper has gone on Facebook uh, appealing for more information about these claims of an eight-foot werewolf running around in Hull uh, in the United Kingdom. And uh, the locals there have dubbed this uh, mystery creature the Beast of Barmston Drain. What, do you, what can you tell us? I love this story. I have... Uh, collected dogman and werewolf sightings for years, and they do go in waves. So here in England, uh, in an area that has a history of dogman sightings, and I prefer the term dogman because these creatures are um, bipedal and they run on all fours. They look like combinations of humans and wolves, uh, which is a more accurate term than, than werewolf. And this is an area that's had a long history of of sightings. They call this beast Old Stinker because it's been said to have very foul breath. And people have uh, seen it up on uh, two legs. They've seen it running on all fours. There uh, were recent reports that a couple saw it eating uh, the carcass of a dog and that it had the capability of jumping, just springing way up over a fence to get away. It has a lot of similarities to the Beast of Bray Road, which has been seen in primarily Wisconsin and Michigan for a long time. And I've also researched sightings of a similar creature in upstate New York. And uh, the strange thing about these cases is that they do go in waves. 
and um, of course werewolf lore is tied to the full moon, but it, it, there seem to be flaps, just like UFO flaps, and like Mothman was kind of a flap, where something happens in in the veil between dimensions or worlds, and uh, there's a rash of sightings, and that seems to be what's happening uh, now in this area. And Alice Cooper, the, uh, the rock star, being a big aficionado of the supernatural, uh, he's put out a call. He wants to get to the bottom of it and get reports. Uh, often these um, um, dogmen sightings in the U.K. are centered around ancient structures like uh, Stonehenge, etc., uh, is there any of that going on in in the Hull area in the United Kingdom? This is a small town, Hull. I, I'm not I've not heard of it, but are there any uh, ancient structures in that area? Do we know? Uh, I'm not really sure because I'm not that familiar with Hull itself. I've never been to Hull. Um, I have uh, uh, read about uh, Old Spinker uh, in the past, and um, uh, as an aside, the folks in Hull are a little upset because. Uh, they're trying to be a, the city of culture uh, currently in Britain, and werewolf sightings just don't do for something like that. No. Uh, but uh, it is a good point you bring up about the ancient structures, because um, people have speculated, and dowsers in particular, that these structures are built on highly energized land, that there's something about the configuration of the land that's a very unusual energy, and uh, they are often... Uh, these portal areas where people have all kinds of otherworldly and interdimensional experiences. They might see mysterious lights in the sky or uh, ground lights, orbs, uh, ghosts, apparitions, mysterious creatures. And uh, so a lot of these things all go hand in hand in an area. And the fact that Hull has had a history of this, uh, which extends back, um, you know, in time, uh, I would say that there's something going on there about the land that uh, is a magnet for this kind of activity. What about the possibility that we're, we're talking about a skinwalker here? Uh, it could be a British version of that. Uh, skinwalkers technically are, in Native American lore, sorcerers who shapeshift into various um, animal-like forms, including uh, dog, dogmen. But um, when you look at the characteristics of the beasts themselves from place to place, uh, there are a lot of similarities. You know, as I mentioned, the comparison to the Beast of Bray Road and uh, the, the case that I've been following in upstate New York um, isn't quite like that, but it's more like the famous case from France, the Beast of um, uh, Gévaudan uh, that uh, uh, took place in the, the 1700s. And so uh, I don't think it's these beasts that go from place to place, but there are certain characteristics that um, are similar from uh, distant location to distant location, which to me is, is an ev evidence of the existence of these creatures uh, and that they are, are tied to Earth. They're another, uh, in another dimensional reality. So how, how serious do you think uh, is Alice Cooper about that, uh, about this? I mean, is he actually going to try and organize a hunt? Is he going to go over there himself? Uh, it remains to be seen. And, you know, he's not the only rock star who's ever been interested in, in the supernatural. Uh, you know, in the Zozo phenomenon, we talk about Jimmy Page, who was fascinated, uh, the lead guitarist for Led Zeppelin. Sure. Uh, who was fascinated by the occult 
Uh, he owned a lot of uh, works by Aleister Crowley, even bought Aleister Crowley's house uh, that he had lived in at one time in Scotland. Uh, he didn't spend much time there, but he owned it for a while. And uh, Which recently burned down, didn't it? music and the supernatural cult that go hand in hand. I'll say. So uh, whether or not Alice Cooper is just sort of uh, riding a publicity wave here, or, or if he's going to get really serious about it, he's at least galvanized interest in the topic. All right. Now, this is an interesting story. Here we go again with another one of these um, uh, incidents, supposedly, where a time traveler is caught on video. Uh, in this case, um, we have a, a video. This is a clip from uh, a 1995 Mike Tyson boxing uh, match in Las Vegas, uh, again, back in 1995. And um, in the uh, in the front, well, maybe in the first couple of rows, you can see this uh, gentleman, and he seems to be holding up a a very thin sort of um, kind of a smartphone, and it looks like he's pointing it and looking through it almost as if it's a camera phone. Now, what's in, what's the big deal there? Well, this is again this fight took place in 1995, and the first camera phone was sold in the year 2000. So what do you make of this story, Rosemary? I'm a little on the fence about it, Richard. I do believe in time travel, by the way. There have been some very interesting cases that are hard to explain away. Um, but um, f- for one thing, this, this device, this camera device, uh, doesn't look very distinct. It's kind of hard to make out. And uh, there have been people who have um, found photographs of early uh, digital cameras, early cameras, uh, that have a a very strong resemblance to this. And I really feel that this is a case of mistaken identity. Um, But um, I do believe in time travel, and and we have some other interesting cases uh, of that. I remember it was was a... um a Charlie Chaplin um, um, clip that came out a few years ago as well. And there was a, it looked to be like a woman uh, walking in front of a movie theater. Uh, I believe it was a Charlie Chaplin uh, film clip. And she's holding up something to her ear that looks remarkably like a cell phone. Do you remember that? Um, I'm a little foggy on the details on that. Yeah, um... uh, this came out maybe five, five, six years ago. Do you remember that, Albert? They were, it was on YouTube, and this woman, I think she was walking in front of a movie theater or she was walking in a park, and she was holding her, her hand up to her ear, and it looked like she was muttering something, and it looked all, for all the world, again, this was a clip from the 1920s, like she was talking into a cell phone, and not a big, you know, big clunky cell phone, almost like a smartphone or, a, or one of those small flip phones. All right. I do, I do remember that story now, and it, uh, I, I thought that was very intriguing. I thought that was um, more unexplainable than this particular clip. Um, to me, one of the most interesting cases still on record comes from 1992 in Baltimore, where I, I just was, where a man was arrested for vagrancy, he was wearing uh, 19th century clothing. Uh, he gave his name, said where he was from, as Morris Winthrop, the Morris Winthrop case. He had um, other items related to the late 19th century on his person, and he was uh, put in a um, hospital, like a mental hospital, for observation. 
and uh, then suddenly vanished. He just literally disappeared right out of his uh, room. And uh, the doctor who had initially interviewed him was so intrigued by it, he did some research and discovered that there had been a man in New York City, where this man said he was from, um, in the late 19th century by that name who mysteriously disappeared one day. So we have these intriguing cases, and um, the technology seems to be transported, too. Here was a man who had 19th century a 19th century gun on him and clothing and other items uh, that gets transported into the present. And uh, so we have to think that items from the future, uh, even our present, could... Uh, could be transported into the past. Indeed, and talking about uh, leaps, uh, you know, technology or technological uh, leaps and bounds, uh, this is a kind of a scary story, quite frankly. And uh, this is uh, scientists, I believe it's in um, India, who are seeking to bring dead brains back to life, reviving a, a dead brain. What do you make of this? Uh, it's technology that is bound to happen. Uh, I think that. Um, uh, we're going to increasingly push the limits on death, and this is going to have a lot of legal ramifications. Um, th- this research is uh, using stem cells in order to re- literally regenerate brain-dead people, and experiments you know, uh, actually running on people who have been legally declared brain-dead. And uh, the article points out that uh, nobody seems to be objecting too much to this yet, but if this ever became a commonplace practice, uh, it, it might be kind of a scary uh, proposition to a lot of people. The, the one thing that I think of is that here are these people who, for various reasons, uh, through injury or illness, um, trauma, have be, uh, been rendered brain dead, yet uh, they can still be maintained. And uh, what if their brain is resuscitated in some Frankensteinian manner uh, from brain dead and uh, to, uh, like the article describes, well, we could get them into a coma and then maybe we could get them into, you know, some um, at least minimal stages of conscious awareness. What would they be like? Uh, exactly. Would, would they, it does, it does uh, sound Frankenstein. Would they return to full functioning or would, would they be literally like zombies? And the question is raised in the article. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it does sound like Frankenstein Revisited, and it's called the Reanima uh, Project. We'll keep our eye on that. Rosemary, thank you for this. We'll talk next month. Thank you, Richard. Good night. Good night. Visionaryliving.com, the website. All right. Thank you all uh, for listening. Albert, uh, Jonathan, Jamie, I'm back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. Would I, would, would I speak in the dark, speak in the light, what you hear in a whisper, proclaim from the rooftops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.